የቃሉ ብቻ ፖድካስት ነው ሄኖካ ብራ አብዛሽ ፈራውና ፓስተር ሊክኛ ጋር አለ ለምጀምራ ጊዜ ነው ለምጀምራ ጊዜ አይደለም አይደለም ሶስተኛ ጊዜ ነው ሰውን ኢንተርቪው ስናረ ዛሬ ፓስተር ሊክኛ ጋር አለ እንደሁሌው ማሳሰብ ፈልገው ነገር ፌስቡክ ላይ ዩቲዩብ ላይ ቴሌግራም ኢንስታግራም ቲክቶክ ላይ ገብታችሁ ስክሪፕቸር አለው ፖድካስት ብላችሁ ሰርች አድርጋችሁ ሰብስክራይብ ኦሎና ሼር ማድረግ በፍጹም ዳስራሹ ከዛ ባለፈ አፕል ፖድካስት ላይ ሬት አርጉን ከዛ ባለፈ ደግሞ አሪፍ ሪቪው መጻፍ እንዳስራሹ አሁን ደግሞ በቅርብ ተራኪ ፖድካስት አፕ ላይ የሀገራችን ፖድካስት አፕ ነው ዛሬም ገብተናል ሪሊጂየስ እና ስፒሪቹዋል ኢሚል ካታጎሪስ ገብታችሁ ስክሪፕቸር አለው ፖድካስት ሚለው ማግኔት ይችላልላችሁ ዛሬም ሬት አርጉን አሪፍ ሪቪው እንድትጽፉልን እናሳስባችኋለን ከዚህ በኋላ በእንግሊዘኛ የምናወራውና የመጀመሪያችን የመጀመሪያችን ጌታ ረዳናል so hopefully uh, we were just introducing uh, our show and uh, today we're joined by pastor eric and uh, it's it's a pleasure to have you on our podcast and we would give you a minute or two to say a few words uh, about your i don't know why you're here not in the podcast actually why you're here in ethiopia and how long have you been and what you do here in the bit uh, of few parts well, why i'm here in the podcast would have been easy <laughs> you asked me to come so i am here uh, i am a lutheran pastor from the united states i belong to the lutheran church missouri synod it is a conservative lutheran church as you know the lutheran yeah. world is separated in very many directions yeah. Con- uh conservatively liberally confessionally and we are a confessional lutheran uh conservative lutheran church and the EECMY uh entered into partnership with our church body and asked us to send uh theology professors over okay. people to help train and teach in the seminaries and i am one of the people that my church body identified and asked to come and when they asked and said would you be interested in teaching in ethiopia uh actually even before i could say yes my wife said yes <laughs> if you're ready i'm going to go yeah. and but we we decided said yes we would like to come and so uh, we arrived here in 2016 and by the european calendar mm-hmm. and i've been teaching at makaniyesu seminary ever since oh, how 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 has been your stay so far Oh, we Do are so thankful to be here. My wife and I on a personal level love raising our children in this setting. Yeah. You know, we're in a society of people who are all spiritual. Yeah. America is becoming so secular and so atheist. It's it's hard to raise children there. Mm. Here, every Ethiopian I know believes in God. Yeah. <laughs> a God. Yeah, at least some gods yeah. <laughs> but the, i have not, i've not found an atheist ethiopian yet me neither i <laughs> i've not found a single ethiopian who believes that the way they live doesn't matter they can just do whatever they want there's no answer no value no meaning i love that my children are in this society where everyone understands that there is spiritual right mm. and wrong there is moral right yeah. and wrong and then on top of that the people just in general are, are quite friendly yeah. uh, in the united states if you're walking down the street and greet a stranger they will look at you with this idea like what are you trying to do 
Why would you? Why are you talking to me? What's wrong? And Ethiopians are, are just by nature much more friendly. It seems yeah. to me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, sure. Most social. So it's it's a, it's a very it's it's a very good culture to be in from that sense. And then secondly, professionally, yeah, I love having the opportunity to teach here. Yeah. I I love the students that I have, mm. the faculty that I'm working with, this church body. It's it's wonderful for for me to be here. Professionally, personally, I thank God every day that he that he sent me here. That's good to hear. We're really great to have you here. Yeah. And and this podcast I'm excited about too. Yeah. It's like you have like you're talking about important things and yeah. you have some wonderful plans for yeah. this. Yeah. I think you're going to be covering a lot of good topics. Yeah. yeah. And praying that you have a big impact on the society here. Yeah, that's our wish as well. And once again, it's good to have you here on on our podcast. Uh, I think earlier, uh, before we started uh, recording, I was telling you why we wanted to do uh, this episode and the coming episodes with you. Uh, uh, we usually mention this on our podcast. Uh, confessional Christianity is dying everywhere, uh, worldwide, not just in Ethiopia, but as you were mentioning, uh, even the thought of God is dying, is fading away uh, from uh, the thinking of uh, the way people think isn't God-centered anymore. Uh, but, but one of the ways to do away with such a thinking is uh, to hold our ground, which is uh, being confessional. Yes. Uh, and uh, as, as a Lutheran church, we're a confessional church, we're a confessing church. Uh, every church is a confessing church for that matter. And, uh, and we want to delve into, we want to talk about these things. What does it mean to be a Lutheran? What does it mean to be a confessional and the history of the Lutheran church, so on and so forth. So, Today, on our first episode, we would do um, some sort of introduction. Uh, we, would, uh, we would do a bit of history, maybe a bit of theology. And then as we move forward, we will get into the Book of Concord. And then uh, as we move ahead, we will pick um, different books in the Book of Concord and we will try to interact uh, with each of the, w- the book. But today, um, if we are to title this episode, it would be Introduction to Lutheranism. Perfect. So, familiar uh, topic for you. <laughs> yes. Uh, and one of the questions that we would want to raise uh, as we jump into introduction to Lutheranism is, uh, it's hard to talk about Lutheran theology without mentioning the name Luther. <laughs> Very true. Yeah, Very for sure. True. So, would you be able to tell us a bit about Luther? Who was he? Uh, where is he from? Where was he from? The environment that he grew up um, the families that he was raised in, the community, so on and so forth. What Certainly, w- yeah. I'd be happy to do that. So t- when we talk about Luther, we're going back to the late, fi- uh, s- late 15th century, early 16th century. Uh, so he was born on European calendar, 1480s yeah. in Germany. His father was working class. His father had been uh, a minor, a laboring job, but he was very good at it, very good with his money, and he was able to rise up within that profession Mm. uh, uh, well enough that he could afford a good education for his son. And being the wise man that he was, uh, worldly thinking a little, Mm. certainly, but, uh, but wise in that sense, he was looking to advance his family, mm. and he thought the best way to do that was for his son to be a lawyer. There, within 
when you're a lawyer, there's more money, there's more influence, there's more power. So he he spends the money he is earning to give Luther the best education he can, Mm. intending that his son will be a lawyer, and that will be the next step in raising the family up in society. And so Luther was well-educated by the European standards of the day and was actually in university studying to be a lawyer when his life changed and he took uh, another direction going going into the church but very simply basically is that yeah yeah, yeah. i think that's okay. uh, that's enough for now uh in the, in, i think when we talk about luther now we're talking about the medieval time in the 1500 the, fi- yes. the 1500s 1600s and uh, we know that especially starting from the 4th century till the 16th century um, the church of rome had an impact on western society and civilization religion and economy so on and so forth so w- what was the impact of the church of rome on luther growing uh, up in, in, in the roman catholic church growing up as a child um i honestly don't know how much it impacted luther he doesn't in the right the writings that i have seen of his he doesn't really talk about his childhood mm-hmm. much. But, uh, so, so to speak of the impact on him personally, I, I don't know. But the impact, or the general message for the medieval church of that day, Roman Catholicism was very legalistic, mm-hmm. very focused on works, and very focused on judgment. Uh, this this comes through in a lot of ways. Mm. Uh, the the probably what re- made me see it the most was seeing a medieval church in Italy. Mm. Uh, plenty of beautiful artwork on the walls. All the walls were painted. Mm. But as you go out the back, out the door, leaning over the door is this ghost like figure in a black robe, a picture of death. Yeah. Ha- uh, hanging over the door that you have to go out through. And you know, the, the image for the people in this church is when you walk out that door, you're walking out into the world of death. Mm-hmm. And, it, it, and you know, this, that's this whole idea. Of if you're not doing it right, you will die, maybe even eternally. Uh, a very, very scary imagery, mm-hmm. very judgmental imagery. And so certainly Luther would have grown up in a mm-hmm. church similar to that. Yeah, so the people at that time uh, were really concerned about their uh, status before God. Uh, they were concerned uh, how could they be right with God. I think this was the Luther's question. Uh, how Absolutely. can I be right with God? Uh, what was the driving force for this uh, thinking? Because as you said before, uh, this kind of thinking is absent in our uh, age. And what was the driving force for this kind of uh, question? At the okay. Time? So the driving force for this question, honestly, is the question of, it is the question of your standing by God, before God. What is the church teaching about this? Well, the medieval church of the day portrayed a Jesus who was a judge. Not all that different from the God of Islam. He's got his scales, he's weighing the good, he's weighing the bad, he's looking at what you're doing. And with that, there is always a real fear that you're not doing enough good, that you are doing too yeah. much bad. 
And of course, for Luther, now once he does join the church, I mean, he, you know, he's a student, he's on the track for becoming a lawyer, and then changes and goes into the monastery, yeah. becomes a monk. And so he, when he makes that change, he enters a world where his entire life, all day, every day, is a life of church, yeah. a life of spirituality, a life of scripture. And so in everything he's doing, it's not like being out in the secular world where you, you get busy with a secular job, you think about your secular duties, yeah. and you're not thinking about God. Yeah. Well, for Luther, his job, his free time, everything is located here, and it's all about God. And it's a church that's teaching, this is a judgmental God. Yeah. And this is a church that has activities for you to do to merit, or earn merits with God. You know, if you venerate these certain saints or relics, if you make this pilgrimage, if you say these prayers enough time, if you fast appropriately, if you do these right things, you're earning favor with God. But if you're doing wrong, then that's going on the other side of the ledger yeah. sheet. And Luther was very, you know, he had that lawyer's mind. He understood how to read and think about things. And so as he studies his scriptures with this sharp mind of his, and he's seeing how serious sin is. He's seeing how broad the ways are that people can sin. And he's realizing just how much he does sin. And then he looks at his good, and he realizes it's not that good. And so he's constantly feeling the condemnation of the law, constantly feeling guilt before the judge. And he's feeling this in a church where the only real answer ultimately comes down to, well, then you better do better. You better try harder. And it's not working. And so that's really what's pushing and driving Luther at that yeah. point. He's feeling the law. He's feeling the guilt. And there's no relief. Yeah. No gospel. No gospel. No Christ. Only yeah. as a judge. Only as yeah. a judge, yeah. I think, uh, I think uh, Ronald Baton, in, in his book, Here I Stand, uh, there was a picture. Yeah. Uh, Christ was sitting in his throne and uh, a lily coming uh, out of his ear uh, from his right ear and uh, a sword coming from his uh, left ear. And uh, it was a sign, uh, a terrible sign for the people at that time. Uh, maybe another question. Could we say uh, Luther's study in law uh, contributed some factors to his uh, guilt? He, he was not uh, escaping his guilt. Uh, he was not uh, doing easy with his sin. Maybe could we say that? You could certainly say it from the standpoint that his legal training taught him how to be very good at really understanding the details of what he was reading. Yeah. I think there are a lot of people who would read the law of God and read it somewhat superficially. Yeah. And um, we, you know, there are plenty of people who have the wrong idea of sin. They yeah. think yeah. sin is doing the opposite of what God says. Yeah. If God says go north, they go south. Oh, that's sin. 
Um, but as Luther reads with that lawyer's mind who looks at the details of the law, he starts realizing sin is any time you miss God's perfect intent or desire. Mm-hmm. So if God says go north and you miss it by one half of one degree, yeah. that's just as sinful as if you turn 180 degrees yeah. and go south. So, And certainly his lawyer's training in how to pay attention to, to language, yeah. how to pull out the details, would have certainly set him up well to have that kind of a detailed understanding. Would it be fair to say he, he really understood the demands of the law? Absolutely. Not, not just the legal law, but the law of God. Yes. Okay. And, and that's his, his greatest problem, yeah. is that he actually does understand the unbearable demands of the law yeah. if the law is going to be your path for salvation. Mm-hmm. And that's all that his church is giving him. Yeah. So Luther is, uh, he doesn't have an ease, an, a conscience that is at ease. So he's always being disturbed. He understands the demands of the law. Uh, and he couldn't find a gracious God because Christ right. is also being depicted as a judge. Yes. So to the extreme point that he will even say he hates this God. Yeah. Because uh, yeah. this God makes demand after demand after demand after demand. And the answer to these demands is more demands. Yeah. And so Luther, Luther hates this. You know, how can you say this as a loving God when he gives me more than I can handle and then his only answer is, well, do more. So yes, you're, you're absolutely right. Yeah. So what was the factors that contributed uh, for maybe for the Reformation, but particularly uh, for Luther to write against uh, the Roman Catholic Church? What was the tipping for point for him? Okay, so it's uh, when, when we start to see how Luther comes from this point of a desperate monk in despair who hates this demanding God to the reformer proclaiming the gospel to the world, it, there are a number of factors. The, the first is that as a monk... In this monastery, his supervisor realizes he's an academically gifted man and sends him for more theological study. He gets his doctorate. He becomes an Old Testament professor. Mm. And he, he becomes a, a professor teaching in the Wittenberg School of Theology, lecturing on the Psalms. Mm. And the Psalms are, often people miss this, but... These psalms are about Christ. The psalms are about salvation and grace are all over in these psalms. And Luther starts teaching on the psalms, starts digging further and further into Scripture. And the the tipping point for him theologically is, it's interesting to me, he's an Old Testament scholar, Hebrew is his language of expertise, but it's when he's wrestling with the New Testament, yeah. wrestling actually with the, the book of, of Romans, and he's wrestling with um, Romans 17, uh, speaking about the gospel. 
for in it, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And when Luther first reads this, as he's learned as a good medieval monk, if you are if you live righteously enough, then you can have this faith and eternal life. And he's struggling with this. How can I ever live this way? How can I ever be righteous enough to to earn this faith? But as he wrestles and wrestles and wrestles, eventually he comes to understand, no, that's not what this verse is saying. This verse is actually saying that God is, this righteous God is giving me his righteousness and I have it by faith. And it turns everything upside down. And so Luther Luther starts understanding that this salvation isn't something he's going to have to earn. That God isn't going to let him into heaven or lock him out of heaven based on what he has done, but God himself is giving this righteousness, this status of right as a gift. And so this starts changing Luther. Now, now Luther understands law, starts understanding law and gospel. Yeah. The law condemns, but not for the purpose of driving you to work harder and better so that you can earn a status with God, but this law condemns you to the point that you realize your only hope is to rely on a Savior. So the law drives you to Christ and the free gift of salvation. And it's in this that... Luther starts to understand what it really means to be a Christian. The law condemns you. It drives you to despair. It makes you realize you're helpless. It drives you to the only one who can help you. And as you stand there as a beggar before Christ saying, I have nothing to offer you. I I can't help myself. I need you. You're the only way I can be saved. Christ says, don't worry. I am saving you. You are forgiven. I'm taking that sin away from you. I'm taking that guilt away from you. I am making you to be a holy child of God. This is my gift to you. And so Luther starts to understand this. Now the tipping point that actually turns him into the reformer, because honestly he could have just been a quiet theology teacher teaching the true gospel in this corner of Germany and the rest of the world could have just gone on. But as this is happening, uh, there's a, it's a longer story than you probably want for this brief podcast. So I will just say, as a fundraiser, the Roman Catholics were essentially selling forgiveness. Now, honestly, the story deserves a longer yeah. lecture than that, but yeah. I don't think you and your listeners want to hear me <laughs> Uh, give that lecture. Maybe we so, will take a, a session for this for this topic. Perhaps some, some other time. Perhaps yeah, some other will time be, we'll, yeah, we'll speak sure. more deeply about yeah. this. But for the purposes of today, the basic point is that there is a representative of the church selling forgiveness. And so Luther, people can literally go to this man, give money, mm-hmm. and they get a certificate that says, you are, you are forgiven, you have free entrance into heaven, essentially is what this is saying. And so Luther starts running into this with 
his parishioners who are now saying, oh, you know, Pastor Luther, it doesn't, you don't need to tell me about my sin anymore. You don't need to talk to me about forgiveness. I already bought it. It doesn't matter now. I can, I can do whatever I want. I don't have to go to church. I don't have to, I don't have to obey the law. I, don't have to, I can do whatever I want to do. See, I have the paper. It says right here, I get into heaven. And so this, this is the point that pushes Luther because he understands the way into heaven is forgiveness. Yeah. But if you say, I don't need forgiveness, that piece of paper isn't going to get you into heaven. So he's seeing the very real spiritual threat of his parishioners being damned because they've been lied to. And so he does what any good academic theologian would do about this. He says, let's have an academic debate. So he writes up a list of 95 logical points about this, and he, make, he puts it on public display saying, I want to have a debate in the university setting with another professor. who Find me a church professor who thinks this is right, and I will debate it with him. And Luther thinks this will be an academic debate. They'll discuss, discuss it with the scripture verses, and they'll settle this issue academically, and then the church will be informed with this, and they'll fix the problem. He's thinking like a university professor. And so that's what he does. He writes this list, and this is what we call the 95 Theses. And this was a normal way for academic debate to happen in, in this time. He's not doing something unusual. Okay. But be, he puts so it on the... If I can just one okay, briefly. No he, he, what he is doing is normal. Yeah. This is supposed to be a normal academic debate. What happens, however, isn't normal. Yeah. He posts this, uh, and the church, church door works like the public bulletin yeah. board. So he posts it the way he normally would, and he's expecting a uh, few people will pay attention to this. Some theologian will debate me. But instead, somebody takes this down, they take it to the printing press. And all of a sudden, this is getting printed and copied and copied and copied, and it goes out all over the place. And what would have been, by Luther's intent, a quiet university debate is suddenly being discussed by people in the streets everywhere. And this is what more or less forces the issue. Okay. Cool. I just wanted to ask uh, with regard to the point that you, you were raising earlier. You were talking about Johann Tetzel, yes. uh, the guy who was raising funds, yes. and people were coming and buying these indulgence tickets for the forgiveness of sin. Yes. So the, people from Luther's congregation went to um, Johann Tetzel, and then they bought this indulgence, and then they came. The indulgence, they showed Luther the indulgence ticket. Would it be fair to say Luther had a pastoral crisis? Yes, that's very fair. So it wasn't just uh, because of uh, the academic thing that he wanted to have that he posted the 95 Thesis? His response is driven from his pastoral heart, seeing his parishioners in grave spiritual danger. But then his answer to it is academic. Yeah, yeah. So <clears throat> most of the time when we talk about Luther, uh, we say he's a reformer. Uh, so what was his intention, uh, maybe in the 95 thesis or 
after that was his intention to establish a new church a new entity or was he trying to reform the roman catholic church from the inside very good question and honestly luther never desired to have a separate church that was never his intention that was never his goal and that is not something that he would look at and say oh the church is fracturing and splintering this is a success that's that's not what he wanted he honestly thought this was going to be something that could be discussed and debated and that everyone in the church would respect god's word and settle this issue that way and so he really he honestly thought to begin with this is probably a minor problem with a few people like Tetzel who are doing something wrong. And when the whole church is aware of this and we've discussed it, the authorities will tell people like Tetzel to stop. And they didn't realize that this was the Pope's main fundraiser for building his cathedral, uh, St. Peter's, the, the, what we call the Vatican today. Yeah and that the crisis actually went all the way to the top, and that the leaders were more interested in money than they were in the Word of God. Uh, it's a bit of my own yeah. editorializing yeah, yeah, on yeah. it. But in one of the points that you raised, uh, it brought some questions to my mind. So you have Tetzel, the Pope, the, the, I think the Fugger family, who were in to raise money so that they get rich of the poor and the desperate and so on and so forth. So Luther was never aware of this issue? I do not believe that Luther was aware that that's what was happening. I do not believe that he understood that Johann Tetzel was selling these indulgences to raise money for the archbishop who had to pay off a loan for buying his bishopric yeah. at a very expensive yeah. price from the pope i don't i don't think yeah. luther was aware of that at first but yeah you think he would have gone to oppose the 95 thesis had he known just an assumption i <laughs> i i don't know if if he would have chosen a different way to address it but luther felt from everything i've read luther felt so responsible for the care of the souls of the people in his uh, under him and he felt such a burden to be true and faithful to god that i don't believe luther could have looked at this had he known everything and said oh um i better just be quiet i don't want to get hurt i i think luther would have still felt compelled to do something maybe he would have approached his own political leaders and tried to find yeah. a different answer i don't know but i i don't believe he would have just yeah. quietly let it go on i don't think he could have done that with with his conscience so we see luther's personality as a pastor this act so i think we need this kind of pastors at this time yeah. Yeah. so he was kind of optimistic about the problem naive optimistic yeah. yes